Welcome to another episode of the Itty Bitty Podcast. This week on the show, we talk about something near and dear to my heart. Uh, My guest is Andrew from the podcast Pop Anime Comics Lounge, and we sat down to talk about everything from the change in culture at Comic-Con, how comic books have affected current media, and we even talked about speculating and investing in toys and comics. Um, This was my first remote interview, and Andrew was nice enough to come on and geek out with me. But remember, this is not a podcast about comic books. It's the Itty Bitty Podcast. It's anything but, and it starts now. Welcome to the Itty Bitty Podcast. It's the Itty Bitty Podcast. It's the All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Itty Bitty Podcast. Um, I have, my guest this week is Andrew from Pop Anime Comics Lounge. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here. I'm excited and thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, this is actually the first episode where we're going to talk about, uh, you know, comic books and comic culture and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to do that with you here today. I'm excited to talk about it. Let's lay it on. Any questions? I'm ready to field them. So I guess we should start because you you are you have a podcast, Pop Anime Comics Lounge. So I guess let's start with your podcast. We'll we'll start with that and um, kind of go from there. So what's this this podcast all about? So I'm going to preface it. I have a website called popanimecomics.com, and I write about anime, comics, and pop culture. And then I was doing written interviews with voice actors and comic writers, and then I figured that nobody wants to read anymore or people want to read but people like to listen and they like to do other activities and so i created a podcast where i interview voice actors wrestlers comic writers artists and cosplayers and the occasional author every once in a while that i find interesting and that's what i do so i just ask questions we have a conversation they say whatever they want to say and it's always fun and i interview people that i like so I'm a fan of certain shows, I'm a fan of certain wrestlers, and the whole entire thing behind this is that I created a podcast because I want to speak to certain people. And so I want to speak to certain people, I want to enjoy certain people, and what I've learned is that people, what I like, people also like. And so that's kind of how everything goes, and it's usually 45 minutes to about an hour. I talk to these people, and we go from there. And we talk about everything, their careers, con culture, Sometimes they have funny stories to tell, and it's just a blast to do it. And I thoroughly enjoy it, and apparently a lot of other people do as well. Yeah, I was checking out some of your different interviews. You've got everybody from cosplayers to uh, wrestlers to... I saw you had an interview with Kevin Eastman on there. Um, so yeah, you, you seem to be all all over the, the comic culture. Yeah, I'm all over the place and things come about and it's crazy because a lot of these people, so I've had people like Paul Levitz who ran DC Comics for almost 15 years as like their head publisher and then as the president of the company and then you have somebody like Kevin Eastman and they're from two different walks of life, very successful people and 
these people you would think would be inaccessible, but it's crazy. And this is something I'm going to encourage everybody is that a lot of people in the comic world, the anime world, the cosplay world, and even the professional wrestling world are very accessible. And it's crazy to think that, you know, you get to talk to some of the best because everybody knows the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Everybody knows, for those who don't know, Paul Levitz was kind of responsible behind Batman Begins. And he was sort of on set for some of that because that was during his reign and towards the end of his reign as a DC Comics president. And so it's crazy to think that all these people are very accessible. And they're very nice, too, about it. Right, you would be kind of intimidated asking somebody for an interview like that if it was maybe some other type of industry. But yeah, comic book people are, are just a lot more approachable, I think. Yeah, you know, it's crazy where some some of them are. Some of them some. are not. Some of them are just horrible people. Right. And <laughs> some of them are just not nice and some of them are nasty. But a lot of them are just nice people and they want to talk to you, especially the older they get, the nicer they become. Because right. somebody like Paul Levitz, or I did Denny O'Neill, who was behind the killing of Jason Todd, for those who don't know, the big phone call, red phone call where you had to actually pay back in the day to use your phone. Now that's sort of free for the most part. And so denny is is up there i think denny's in his late 70s early 80s at this point and a lot of these older people want to talk because there's the new kid on the block and there's nothing wrong with scott snyder who's young but you know he's getting a lot of attention and if you wrote batman 30 years ago you know people you're not forgotten but you're also not in the spotlight anymore right and so older people want to talk and they want to say oh yeah i remember those good old days and I remember when I wrote this and I redefined the industry and they like to tell those stories and I like to capture that. And even with somebody like Howard Cruz and talking about comic culture, there's a whole plethora. For those who don't know, Howard Cruz is the founder slash leader and one of the central figures of the gay comics movement. Okay. And he actually was one of the people that got gay comics into the mainstream and DC Comics took a big risk on him. That doesn't get attention. And I got to interview him very early on. And so talking about that, and that's a whole nother comic culture. And I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but the 20-minute interview I had with him is an amazing interview because we're going through stuff and he talks about some exclusive material that actually hasn't been dictated and hasn't been really discussed out in the comic world with his book, Stuck Rubber Baby. And so there's so many factions of comic culture that people don't even realize whether you're talking about horror comic culture or gay comic culture or when Japanese meets American style. And when you have things like My Hero Academia, which is on the anime side, and where that originated with Astro City and all that stuff. So it's amazing. It's really an amazing industry. And when you start talking to all these people, you really get into that. And you get into like the nit gritty stuff, and that's what I like to do. Right, find out more about like what drives the stories and that type of deal. Um, how long have you been going to cons? Oh, I started going to cons maybe when I was 15 on the anime side. Okay. And then I got into some Comic-Con stuff more recent, probably within the last four or five years. Okay. Because uh, I'm new to comics. I mean, I'm new to the idea of collecting single issues. I've been collecting single issues for only about seven years. 
I've been reading a lot of graphic novels since okay. I was 12, and I've been into anime since I was 7. So right. I came in the other way. I came in on the anime side first. Okay. And then I got into the comic sign with like the Teen Titans and all that stuff. And then I got into comic collecting as far as single issues and getting CGC stuff and really experiencing con culture when I was more in college. So I okay. kind of went the backwards way in. Yeah, I started with, you know, TV in the, in the 90s. And I, I was more in, I read comics when I was younger, but then I got away from it. But I was big into, you know, the Batman TV show. And I used to watch even the older, like the old Batman. I would watch Sailor Moon before school. I watched all types of different older shows um, that were all parts of different, you know, comic book culture. Um, but it was kind of what I was raised on. And then as I got older, I, I've just recently started to get back into actual comic books as I've, you know, gotten a little bit older. I have a little bit more time on my hand, a little bit more money. And now I'm starting to put money back into my comic book collection. So it's um, it's it's pretty wild to see where comics have, have come and where they're going. So see that that's interesting to me because a lot of people actually a lot of people actually don't understand that anime culture and comic culture are cousins. They are very much similar. And part of that is, and I'll tell a story. Paul Levitz was explaining it on my podcast for those who want to listen to it. It's at the end of that episode. But what he was saying is, and I'm a big Asama Tezuka fan as well, and I've come across this in my research, is back in the 70s and 80s, comics really weren't doing all that great where there were stories and things really weren't connecting and they were connecting very minimally as far as things, and there was an issue of how to repackage it. And manga started coming into stores like Barnes & Noble and Borders Books and other stores like that, and manga was a way to repackage and actually was the predecessor to the graphic novel. The graphic mm. novel in the comic world is a very new concept, and in many ways it actually saved the comic industry because people want six issues, and I personally, right now, I'm actually taking a break from single issues, and I'm actually going through graphic novels because I want more of a story. It's also cheaper. I'm also buying these like nice 18 collective issues from Image that just came out on a lot of books, and I want more of a story versus just a single issue. But manga, due to Asama Tezuka and others who Asama Tezuka, for those who don't know, is the godfather of anime, really helped to save the comic industry. Because graphic novels do bolster sales and people want more of a story. And you have a lot of kids right now, 13-year-olds and 15-year-olds, who are not collecting single issues, but they're actually collecting graphic novels. And their first comic experience is a graphic novel. And they're actually coming up to people at cons saying, oh, yeah, you know, I really enjoyed your work. And they're plopping down a trade paperback versus a single issue. Right. And that's becoming more and more of the norm at con culture, and while it's not fully there, and what I mean by the norm, I probably shouldn't have said norm, but maybe that's 2% right now of the industry, where 10 years ago, that was non-existent, and graphic novels have been around since the 90s, okay. and there's a reason why a lot of stuff is getting republished. I have a copy of the Judas Contract by Marv Wolfman and George Perez, which is Teen Titans. That book is two years old, and it's a hard cover. But that was published two years ago, and that story is 40 years old. Right. It's 30, 40 years old. I'm not exactly sure the exact date. It's 80s, 
and I'm horrible at math. I think, yeah, it's probably 40 years old right now because 81, I think it came out, or 82. Yeah. If my math is yeah, correct. It's about 40. And we're almost in, we're, yeah, it's it's in that range. So that that's what con culture is changing into, and it's just fascinating. What are you, you said you were reading graphic novels right now. That's what you've been, been on. What have you been reading lately? So I just fell in love with Polar. Okay. So I love Victor Santos. I love anything the guy touches. He's fantastic. He's just so good at what he does. And so I actually am reading his, the graphic novel format. So I'm reading Polar. I just finished The Black Kaiser, and I actually just wrote about it for my website. And I just dropped about 75 bucks, legitly two hours ago, as of the uh, this podcast, which is August 27th. For, for reference point here, I just dropped 75 bucks to buy the other four volumes on Barnes and Noble two hours ago. Nice. And I'm looking forward to talking about that. And I haven't that read that, but I've I've checked out the the Netflix movie. Oh, the Netflix movie was so good too. It's so yeah. good. It, it was so well done. And it was it was it was really really good, and they did a good job with that. And then, following that, um, I'm now actually reading. While I'm waiting for that, I'm reading Anthony Bourdain's *Hungry Ghosts*. Oh, okay. Which is sort of horror Japanese-ish style, very much more abstract is the way I describe it. And then I actually just went to Barnes and Noble three days ago, picked up *Paper Girls*. The first 18 issues in a nice bound edition and Monstrous. A nice 18 issue cover of that. And then in a few days, I'm probably going to pick up the rest of Saga that just came out. If they have the Copendium, um, even though I've read Saga and I'm up to date with Saga, I just want to reread Saga again from the start because I think it's been out for I think like a year and a half now. And they're planning the back half of it. And yeah. so I just want to reread it to see if I missed anything because it's really a beautiful thing. And then I just got a whole stack of like Earth One stuff and Spider Gwen stuff. And then I want to read Zero Cyborg Zero Zero Nine. So I got a whole list of things to read. And then anything that fancies me is where I'm at as far as that. But my my main goal right now is I'm in the middle of Hungry Ghosts, and it's a fun one to read, but it's very abstract. And so anybody who's reading it wants something that is not in the box, I recommend Hungry Ghosts because it's so abstract and it's so outside the box. He said Anthony Bourdain? Yeah. Is he involved? He Was he involved? Yeah, he's the writer with, um, actually, I have it like right next to me. He, It's Anthony Bourdain's Hungry Ghosts. It's not like Anthony Bourdain, the chef guy. Right? Oh, no, that, yeah, yeah, it's Is that him. Anthony it's Bourdain? Him. Yeah, he wrote oh, wow. another one before this one actually oh, okay. and there's actually recipes that he has in this book and it's like a really nice book it's got like a little ribbon tassel in it and it's a $15 graphic novel done by Dark Horse and it's really an interesting book and it's I think it's it's really cool and it also has like like I'm going through it I'll just you have Sebastian Cabral you have Sal Cap- Caprino Vanessa Del Rey is in this book Irene Koch who did uh, the Cora stuff the choreographing graphic novel that just came out. She has a story in this. So you got a bunch of artists. It's nice. really interesting. I haven't heard of that. I'm gonna have to check it out. Yeah, it's done by Dark Horse, and it's really cool. And there's about five new recipes that okay. he had designed specifically for this graphic novel. 
So sweet. So you get to you can chef it up while you read some comics. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's 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 really cool and it's it's interesting and it is a horror thing. And I guess the tagline, the way to sell it is that playing with your food never was so scary. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, have you read or have you heard of uh, No One Left to Fight? Have you seen that book yet? I have the first issue. I have it too. I haven't read it yet, though. I've got it. I don't know. I don't. I don't know which variant I have because I think there's three variants. Yeah. And I ha- I haven't read it either, but it looks fun. It looks amazing. Yeah, it looks. I, I was a big Dragon Ball fan. Um, I watched a lot of Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, uh, Dragon Ball GT. I haven't watched any of the Dragon Ball Super. I got to catch up on Dragon Ball Super. But it looks. It's supposed to be, I guess, in that kind of that style. So it's like you know the idea is that there's no one left to fight, and what do these heroes do when there's no one left to to do battle with? So I have that one on my my list of of ones that I want to read soon. So I just figured since we were talking about anime, that's kind of a, a nice cross up between the two. So I'll be honest. I picked it up because it looked interesting, but I also had a sense because I am a comic collector, that it would be worth money. Yeah. And I have a feeling I'm going to make some good money on it. I don't think it's going to get me rich. Right. My Saga 1 will get me rich. Right. Because I, I have that thing CBCS signed by Fiona Staples and Brian K. Vaughn. And they just so, got something greenlit for Saga 2, didn't they? There's some, a movie or a series or something coming from for Saga. Did I hear that? So the second half of Saga... Is going to be 54 issues. So the Copendium, for all those who are curious, the Copendium is Saga Part 1. The reason why it's coming out in a Copendium is that the first 54 issues are that. And then Fiona Staples and Brian K. Vaughan are doing, they're doing another 54 issues. And at 108, it's done. I don't know if there's going to be a TV show. At one point, they said they weren't going to do one. They didn't right. want to. They own it outright. Both of them own it. And I think BK Vaughn doesn't want to do it. And just just because I think they want to leave Saga alone. Also, Saga is one of Image's top-selling books. And with The Walking Dead gone, right. um, I don't know what Image is going to do with that. Because it's a new error for Image with that. But there is going to be another 54 issues that are right. coming. It's just when. And that that's the key. But Saga Copendium 1 is a big deal because it definitely got out to comic shops a week before and then it's supposed to be in comic shops maybe tomorrow august 28th but amazon's saying it might take a month or two for it to ship out so there's a lot of complications on what's happening with that but it's still a big deal because most books don't get copendiums out of image personally i think that I have a saga, the first 18 issues, and a nice hardcover issue. And then there's book two and book three. I'd rather have it in hardcover from, from my own standard because it looks nicer on a shelf. But the Gopendium is 40 bucks. It's the fastest way I had to catch up on saga. Yeah. Yeah, I do the compendium sometimes when I'm really behind on stuff. Um, you touched on something I wanted to, it's kind of a good segue. You touched on, you said, you talked about variants. Um, and then you also, you know, talked about a little bit about speculating. So with 
I do a little bit of speculating myself, you know, not enough to become a millionaire or anything like that. I just kind of buy the books I like and the ones that I I think are going to make a little bit of money. Um, But I do notice that there's a lot of variance. And uh, so I just wanted to see what your if you had any opinions on the state of, of variance these days with, you know, shops pushing out all types of variants and everybody wants an exclusive. But if there's, you know, 30 variants of one book, it's kind of hard to get something that's going to be rare. Ooh, this is, this is good. This is good. This is a good question because this is a good topic for me. So I'm going to preface something before we even deal with this, and I promise it'll come full circle. I run a panel called Comic Book Investing 101 at cons, and the whole point of what I talk about is comic books and investing, and it's a very intro-level course into that where I budget, we go through signatures, we go through CGC, and all that type of stuff. The thing that I actually don't touch upon due to time constraints is variants. So every time I do this panel at cons, I'm going to redirect to this segment. Right. Complete discretion, making it obvious. So my opinion on variants is that it depends what company is doing it. Zenscope is an amazing company for variants. They actually have limits to what, how many numbers there are. So they just, I just bought two Zenscope covers for 50 bucks for two. And it was the Starbucks ones. One of them is 350 copies are out there. Another Mm -hmm. one is 250 copies. So Zenscope has very limited capacity. And those were the ECCC uh, covers because Starbucks is located in Seattle. Con was in Seattle. And then Zenscope does a lot with that, with all these comic conventions. So that, in, in that sense, is that it's more rare. So... If a company is willing to limit it, limit limit itself, then it makes complete sense because if there's only 250 copies and there's bound to be an error percentage of three copies not being 9.8, right? Three percent of that, then you have something exclusive and it's wanted. There's a reason why two comic covers that would have cost probably about 40 bucks wound up selling for about 55. Right. That makes sense. But then when you have a Midtown comic, Detective Comics 1000 is the best example for this. I believe there was, I think, 50 or 60 different comic variants across the board with Detective Comics. Mm-hmm. And there was 10 just in the, in the original set going through the 80 years, the regular cover, and the blank cover. From my understanding. So so you had 10 of them. Marvel 1000 is the exact same way. You have the regular set. Then you have all these other sets. Where then every comic shop. Wants it's own version. Midtown Comics. Third Eye Comics. You know. And then and then the list can go on. Those are the two big ones. That I can think of off the top of my head. But then you have online companies. So. It really becomes down to the artist because a J. Scott Campbell will fetch money to some degree. But even then, look at J. Scott Campbell with all of his variants. Originally, when J. Scott Campbell was doing stuff, he had maybe 12 to 15 variants a year that came out. And that's why J. Scott Campbell was special because it was limited to that degree and you knew that maybe he was only going to have 15 variants and maybe there was going to be 15,000 of them at the most out there. And that's why the Spider-Man 700 
and Superior Spider-Man connecting covers with Midtown are so valuable because it was a low print run. But now, J. Scott Campbell has every month, he has 20 variants that come out. That means, if we're doing our math right, that's 240 variants at a minimum. A J. Scott Campbell isn't exclusive anymore. It's common. And while people want it, if you go on eBay right now, people are selling J. Scott Campbells, and a lot of them aren't selling through. The ones that are selling through are the ones like his Walking Dead version that he did with Michonne. That cover is selling through in the sketch version of it. I was lucky. I have one of those, so I'm a little biased on that. But that one is sought after because it is limited. It was a drawback. It was random. He just did a cover for Aspen that if you spend $25 in their store, you got it for free, and that's a limited of 250 That one will sell through because it's limited. But as far as variants go, things aren't – they're becoming common now. Right. It's, it's the only variants that are – great is when it's a blank cover that's limited to 3,000 or it's a variant that's limited to 3,000 copies. Those, I think, have money or a Del Auto has, mo- has value, especially, and, and then also variants get fun when there's a low print run. So I don't know how if people know print runs or anything or do you want me to explain that? You can explain really a little bit, yeah. Yeah, we kind of go over a bunch of different topics on this show. So yeah, go ahead and explain. Hopefully I'm not rambling on and people are interested still, but a print run means how many books are being produced for that specific comic that month. So if a comic the previous month did very well, they might increase the print run. If a comic did bad, they might keep it at the same print run or they might lower it. Number ones have high print runs. Number two sometimes have high print runs, but then a number six might have a low print run. And so what starts to happen is that you, if you have a low print run, but then you have Del Otto who does a one in a hundred ratio. So that means for every regular hundred comics are out there, there's one hundred special hundred variant out there. And then, because there's a very famous issue and it's Spider-Man, I think like five, 524, I want to say, or 512 where Spider-Man only had like 15 or 16,000 comics being produced in that range for that month. And Delato did a 1 in 100 variant. And this is maybe like 15, 20 years ago. And so he did a 1 in 100. So there isn't that many of them out there. And those variants are very valuable because they don't come to market because people understand that you can't find this. And if you do find it, you're expected to pay anywhere from $900 to $1,500 raw. And if it's graded, you could be spending up to $2,250 for it very right. easily. So in those circumstances with variants, then yes, that makes complete sense. So if a comic has a very low run, then it makes complete sense. It would be shoot up, or if a shop says only, we're doing only 300 of these or 3,000 of these, and that's it, which sometimes happens also, then it has value. But if it's a finite amount, or you have a plethora of 30 options, because Dynamite does this with Red Sonia a lot too, or Vampirella, Red Sonia and Vampirella do this a lot too, where they have all these variants. And so 
that that that's what happens and so i mean it's it, 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 it it's so complicated and it just things are becoming less valuable and the only reason why they're doing it is because they want to sell more comics and the margins on comics are so thin right so i guess we can switch gears a little bit and talk a, Sorry a little for bit about um maybe uh toys do you are you seeing a similar trend <laughs> as far as uh, like to- like you know pop culture toys are going just, to why don't we just say the one toy that we all know we're thinking about there's only one toy that that that, that we're all thinking about right now that has this going for it i don't and know which one pop you're talking Funkos. about which toy are you thinking Funkos. that's it pop funkos are, are the, oh pop like funkos most- yeah oh yeah but I feel like those aren't those aren't really that valuable just because there's so many of them now. And the, bullshit, I mean, bullshit. You, yeah, I guess if you get in a good exclusive, though, right? Okay, so so, so I'll, I'll come clean. I sell on eBay, Pop Funkos. Okay. And if you know the right ones, and I'll go through a list of some of the ones that that are valuable. Anything anime, typically that's an exclusive will do well on ebay and so anything san diego just happened oscar Lange just came out of neon genesis evangelion that thing is money in the bank ruby is money in the bank harry potter pop funkos are money mm. in the bank dragon ball z is iffy but sometimes they could be worth good money depending on the right ones and typically anything from new york comic-con whether you go to hot topic gamestop target FYE, the shared exclusives, usually Harry Potter, Barnes and Noble is usually good too for that. Those typically are good money. So on average with my Harry Potter pops that I collect and sell, I'm getting anywhere from $35 to 45 and sometimes I get 50 and those are 15 bucks a piece. And so I've been selling on eBay for about Eight months I've been collecting pops for probably the last five years and of the Harry Potter and some of the anime stuff I've done rather well and I've gotten anywhere from 2.5 to 3x and on a lot of my pops I wound up getting anywhere from 2.5 rate of return to 3x and sometimes I get a five times rate of return depending on the pop and most of them are 15 buck pops so they are worth serious money and Pound for pound, they might be worth more money than comics graded. I didn't know at that at the moment. I didn't think that they were that that. I, I mean, I knew that they were sought after, but I'm out here in Washington. I haven't been to. They have that big. Um, it's like a not a factory. I guess it's their store, their main headquarters there in Everett, Washington. That's a little bit of a hike for me, but I have to get out there and check it out. It looks amazing. Funko Funko is a fascinating company. They went public, I think, two years ago. So they are a publicly traded company. Their IPO was at $9. Their stock right now is sitting at 22 So and They started small, in, right? Very small, right? Funko? Funko's been around since 1998. But now, when I'm they actually, started, he started super small, huh? I guess. I mean, the, the craziest thing, I'm actually working on a panel and I'm trying to get it into an anime con called Funko Investing 101. 
there's a trend going on with me and in investing in these things. And <laughs> no, so, I've been comic book speculating and stuff, so this is cool. I didn't. I mean, that's that's a this is useful information for anybody who's looking to get into this stuff. And and so and I'm sure I'm sure I'm going to get an opportunity to plug it because because if I do get that pan on, I'm just going to say it. I will be live streaming it on one of my social media networks, for lack okay. of a better word, or on social media, I should say. And so you can watch it for free and learn all about it if I get it. Um, but yeah, it's just such a cool thing, and they're they're a really interesting company because they started out in 1998, and then in 2004, 2003, 2004, it was sold to somebody else who really modernized the Pop Funko. But Funko makes everything. You know, for right. Funko doesn't just make Pop Funkos; they make a lot of other toys. And if you've been collecting toys or picked anything up in in any fashion, Funko, there's a good chance Funko made it. Pretty much anything minus Hot Wheels cars and Barbies, Funko probably had a hand in it. It's one of the most licensing companies out there. Right. So aside from you know, toys, comics, as far as speculation, you can stay on the subject of speculation, I guess. I like to invest my money into stuff that interests me. I try to put my money into stocks and I just, I couldn't pay attention to that shit because that shit's boring. So I put my money now into weed stocks or I put my money into comic books and, and that type of stuff. Um, so we can stick with speculation. Other than comic books and toys, are there any other, um, you know, other types of speculations within pop culture and comics and, and that sort of thing that you have been kind of keeping your finger on the pulse to? Um, I, it, it's crazy. It's, it's, I'll, I'll just be honest. I actually take the money that I make from my pop Funkos and I put it into the S and P 500. So I, that, that's not exactly pop culture related, but you know, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not really big into stuff. I mean, I, I collect some hot wheels cars, which are always fun, and but that, that's more of a hobby person because I've been collecting Hot Wheels cars since I was like 13, all in the nice package, and there are rare ones, and there are ones that fetch money, and it's always fun to find a car for a dollar, and then that car could be worth 30 bucks. Right. I, I have a funny story. When I was like 13, Kmart had a big event where they, they had a Hot Wheels event where you got like a free poster, and... They had all these bins of Hot Wheels cars in the package and everything. And I was a collector. And so I'm just digging through stuff. And then there's like all these older men who are like 35. And there's something called the Treasure Hunt. A Treasure Hunt is a rare car. And it's part of a series. And they're more limited. And they're snuck into regular things. And it says T-Hunt on it. And so I pick it up. And I just found out. I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is a Treasure Hunt. Sweet. I put it in my bin. And then... These two older men come up to me and say, that's a good find, man. That's a good find. I'm jealous of you. And then like, <laughs> and so you have two 40-year-old men saying, oh, that's a good find. That's a good find. And so, but I, I've taken a break from it a little bit. And then also I used to invest in Lego minifigs. So I don't know if, if Lego minifigs, if everybody's familiar, but Lego has these figurines that came in a pack and they originally $2 and the first two sets were you could actually pick the barcode of what they were and you could actually figure out what they were and so I have all these unopened uh, minifigs from set one and so like I have an unopened cheerleader and so I used to sell those and back 
maybe 10 years ago, like an unopened cheerleader was like worth $18. So you bought like, I bought like five of them and I sold them on eBay for that. So, and then occasionally I'll pick up some Lego stuff and I'll hold on to some Lego sets that I know are going to be worth money, but not really big into that. And then I'm a big Pokemon fan and a big Magic the Gathering fan. So occasionally I'll pick up a pack or two. And sometimes you get a legendary card. And those legendary cards can be worth like 15, 16 bucks. And I'll flip them. But yeah, my big thing is, as far as pop culture, a lot of comic book stuff. A lot of um, Pop Funkos. And then also I might... And then back in the day, I also bought like these miniature Green Lantern statues oh, nice. that are still in their pack that are the one-fourth scale. And they're going for a good amount of money, so I'll flip that eventually. And I have, an, I have a price in mind, but I don't want to talk about the price just yet because I have to do my research on it. Gotcha. But yeah, that, that, that my, my big thing is comic books and Pop Funkos. This is where my pop culture money, my pop culture money goes beyond stocks. So I'm going to be going to, what is it, Oregon, the Portland um, Comic-Con coming up here shortly next month. And one of my favorite things to do when I go to cons is take edibles, get like pretty stoned and look at cosplay costumes because I'm, I'm not creative in that way at all. Um, do you cosplay or are you just a fan? I cosplayed twice. I was You've done it twice? Ray. I was Amaro Ray. I did it twice. Not really my thing. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know. I'm about 20 pounds overweight. I'm not very confident. I have a walking disability, so I have a hard time walking. I'm on crutches. And, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't flow. Like, like, I can't explain. Like, I feel weird. Like, you know, I, I always felt weird. Like, I felt normal on Halloween dressing up. Right. But beyond that, like, I, I, I just feel weird. It, it's like, it's it's so weird for me. And also, it's like, the cosplay culture has become a little bit too harsh for me. Okay. Like, I, I feel like it's artificial. Like, I feel like a lot of it is just so artificial where girls just, like, want to show off their tits. Right. And, 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 and it's like, I don't, I feel like guy cosplayers aren't artificial. And don't get me wrong, like, I love cosplay and if a girl wants to show off her body and she's smoking hot i mean i'm, I'm a man i'm a straight man right I think that's hot as fuck don't get me wrong but i also think it's become very fake and i think it's become very toxic and over the last you know 15 years i've been attending cons you know i've just seen that transition where it's gone from from really being artistic and what i view as being respectful and showing off your body but not being softcore porn to being softcore porn and hey and, and i feel like nobody's owning up to it and i also feel like cons are not they're, they're going in that direction they're going in a direction of being deviant while not also keeping the integrity of the con and what the con was originally meant for right because comic cons were not meant for a girl to show off her ass and her tits as much as I like that, and I'm not complaining about that, but they were meant for nerds to go and speak about comics. Right. And now I feel like, like 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 it's transitioned to being corporate and that versus being 
about comics and I feel like it takes away and you know you know but but things change and I'm very torn on it because on the one part I enjoy it and I'm sure you enjoy it too and it must be a blast (laughs) to to, to eat an edible and be like oh my god she's smoking hot holy fucking shit right like and that that's fun and, and I agree and it's really cool to see things and it's a fun environment but it's also like it is artificial and a lot of like I, I interview cosplayers and I'm sure some of them are not going to be thrilled that I'm talking about it like this, but it is, I feel like, like, like a part of it has become artificial. And also it's also gone into this lewd environment where there, there are a lot of cosplayers who, and a bunch of them have said it on my podcast where they have to do lewds or they have to show their tits or they have a Patreon where, you know, it's, it's a lewd set and it's etchy for lack of a better word, right. in order to fund their cosplays. And if you go on Instagram, you'll get a bunch of cosplays. How many of them are PG? And how many PG cosplayers are there are out there that have a following of 30,000 people or 1.2 million people? Jessica Nigeri or Nigiri has, I think, 3.2 million you know, fans on Instagram but every picture is her in a tiny bikini. Right. And so and so it, it, I feel like it, it doesn't help the industry. It helps her and it helps it doesn't help cosplay. I think I think it does help cosplay to some degree, but it also hurts it and it also hurts the other industry. Like I feel like it's not raising everything up. Right. So it's, it's raising just kind one of, section up. Yeah. It's more of like putting more people bringing more people who necessarily weren't wouldn't necessarily go to to a con or something to try to get some you know more money out of it. it's basically a cash grab is what you're saying it, it, it's it's a cash grab and it brings fans in and it brings people in but then to a con and people are happy and and that money trickles around i'm not saying it doesn't but i don't think that it actually overall boosts comics I actually don't think it it boosts anything, and I think it's very problem. And Dave Dorman has spoke about this, where and other people have as well, where a cosplayer actually takes money away from artists. And 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 I'm not even talking about a cosplayer who's a guest there. I'm just talking about a cosplayer walking around because people want to take a photo, and then they're not looking at the art, or not they're actually not buying anything in the dealer's room, and that happens a lot more frequently than not. So it's very problematic because on the one hand, people it brings people in, but it also doesn't. And and look, if if you have a thousand people being brought in, or if Jessica Nigeria is a guest there, so there's two distinctions: there's fans who are cosplaying, and then there's guests. So you have a cosplay guest that sells tickets, and that's good for everything. But then when people cosplay, people take photos of them, and that's all they're doing. And that actually is what hollows out an industry in many ways. And so it, it, it's very complicated and I'm very torn on it because on the one hand, I do like attractive females, <laughs> but on the other hand, I also want an industry to thrive and I want these people to eat. And I also want to be, I want to eat cause I present panels at cons and let, that, that affects me and I'm not getting paid for it, but that affects people who attend my panel. Right. And this is how you hollow out an industry. And there's other things that also hollow out an industry, but this is how you hollow out the con side of con side of things. So, 
I want to talk a little bit about, since we're talking about kind of, you know, the changes in the comic book industry, one of the big things these days, especially with how big Endgame was and Infinity Wars, is taking superheroes and putting them in wherever, you know, there's there's the boys on Amazon, there's Watchmen coming out. Um, they, there's all, there's every iteration of superheroes that they've, that you can really think of that's coming out these days. So with that being said, do you think that, are you excited about that stuff? Do you think that that's, it's an oversaturation or, I mean, there's been comic book movies and TV shows forever, but I feel like now more than ever, they're just kind of in your face. I mean, I love the boys. I thought that I'd, I'd take more of the boys any day of the week cause it was amazing, but so I'm not complaining, but I just kind of want to get your thoughts. So I haven't seen the boys yet. It's Check on my it to-do it's amazing. list. It looks awesome. From I've seen the trailer. It looks great. It, it's just haven't gotten around to it. So I'm going to be honest, but opposed to me lying, of course, <laughs> but, but there's all these comic movie stuff coming out, and I think it's good as far as for Disney, for, for their stock, it's good. They make a lot of money, but movies don't translate to comics. So the boys will sell more boys comics. I guarantee you that. that That's an easy translation. But as far as the DCU and Marvel's movies, they actually don't sell more comics. And you know you, you get an initial little boost but then it kind of trickles off because people who want to read comic books are not the same people who go see the movies. People who read the comic books of Iron Man will go see Endgame or Red Avengers will go see the Avengers. But then you have a bunch of seven-year-olds who never read an Avengers comic. They might have watched an Avengers cartoon and they know who Captain America is. They'll go see the movie and they'll go, oh man, that was awesome. That's Captain America. That's Iron Man. Oh, that's what this looks like. And then they wait for the next thing to come out. So I think it's good the fact that they're going to keep on producing these characters because they want the intellectual property and that they're going to do comic books of them. And so that's good. And But it doesn't really help the comic world. And I think what's starting to happen is that we're going to get stuff like The Boys or we're going to get stuff like Happy that just came out or Deadly Class or Umbrella Academy or Chronicles. I forget which it is. I think it's Umbrella Academy. And we're getting more stuff like that because I think a lot of people who are real fans want that stuff more. And so I think that's the positive out of the comic world. I think these movies are just... I think they're good. They make a lot of money. They get a lot of people excited, but they don't help the comic industry. First thing, stuff like Deadly Class, Umbrella Academy, Happy, The Boys actually sell comics. Preacher, you know, sells comics. The Walking Dead show mm-hmm. actually sells comics, you know, and it gets a lot of people in. But even then, you have a real big discrepancy. So I, I have a panel called Exploring Dystopia Through Attack on Titan and the Walking Dead and Fahrenheit 451. And I always ask the question, I ask, you know, before, because I do like, you know, kind of crowd, I guess, riffing with the crowd, trying to get them on my side. I say, how many people have read the Walking Dead comic? How many people have watched Attack on Titan? How many people read Attack on Titan? It's a manga, it's an anime. And I say, how many people read Fahrenheit 451? So I have an idea of my audience. And a lot of people in that audience haven't read The Walking Dead. 
they've seen the show. The show is similar to the comic, but it's not the comic. And so that's kind of what people's perception of comics are. But it's good that it's mainstream because that means that comics are less of a foreign thing now. When a comic when a comic book like The Walking Dead becomes a TV show, it becomes less foreign. It becomes more normal. But when that happens, now what you have is that you have a bunch of people thi- you have you have almost like fake people in it where you don't have real comic fans. And this is the thing about con culture, and we're going to go back to it, where that's what the con scene has become. It's become very much a mixture because of this, because of all these movies and because of all these TV shows. You have people who are like Happy but haven't read Happy or like right. The Walking Dead but haven't read The Walking Dead. And so that that's why it's, it's like this is how you hollow out a con. There's a lot of ways the con scene is being hollowed out. And these movies and these TV shows aren't bringing in new fans to the comic world. And what I mean by the comic world is I mean the actual physical books or the digital side of it, which is how people are reading. Rather, they're introducing these people to these characters. But not their actual pages in the books that made these characters, if that makes any sense. No, I got you. Um so since we're on the subject of like the movies and the Marvel stuff, the big big news this past week was Sony and and their Spider-Man news that Spider-Man was no longer in the the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because that's kind of a big. I mean, they built their whole they built their whole Endgame movie around you know Tony Stark and 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 passing the mantle to Spider-Man. Spoiler alert. So. Um, if you haven't seen Endgame at this point, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. But anyway, so yeah, so I just am kind of wondering what you think about that. I know it's 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 was big news this week, so there's not too much comic book news this week. The title of Troll has been passed down from Milo Yiannopoulos to Sony. <laughs> that's funny. That that's the meme right. of, of of the century. Right. They just trolled Disney and they owned Disney and it's brilliant. I mean, I mean, it's 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 the funniest thing. I love it. I think it's hilarious. You know, I can't wait for Coke Industries to buy Sony and buy <laughs> Spider-Man just to tease Disney because I just found out, speaking of Charles Coke, he he passed away. Coke Industries is bigger than Disney. I just found that out, which is insane. Oh, I believe from, from, that. From a revenue, from a revenue position, they're bigger. But in, in all seriousness, in all serious news, the funniest thing, I just thought it was hilarious. I mean, I like it. I think it's funny. I think it's. I. I, I have like, you know what it is? I, I'm just so sick of Disney owning everything yeah. and then doing everything. And it's nice to see a company's just like owning them and saying, "Hell no, we don't like that." Because the whole thing, from my understanding, is that. Disney wanted a bigger cut going forward, and uh, Sony yeah, was they like, wanted like they it was they were getting five percent, and I guess they wanted to, they wanted to 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 put fifty percent down too on on you know future movies, so they would do they would put fifty percent up, but they would also split it fifty fifty. That was my understanding. And I just love the fact that they just said "fuck no," like I'm sorry, but. I thought it was funny. I think it's enjoyable. 
I like the little guy. You know, I'm a small podcast. I don't have any ads on my podcast. I get maybe 200 views. And it's always, like on my podcast, it's always nice when David beats Goliath. You know, and I'm not saying Sony is David. But in many ways, Disney is a monster. They are Goliath. And it's nice when they kick Disney's ass. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's really, it's refreshing. And I don't know how to say that any other way except the fact that it's so refreshing when a company says, fuck off. Right. We don't give a shit that you've done A, B, C, and D and that you built this all around and that you've invested billions of dollars because that's what they've invested in reality. And they're like, fuck off. We don't care that you own Hulu. We don't care that you're doing this Marvel Plus stuff. We don't care that you have Moon Knight. We don't care. We have Spider-Man. And you don't. And guess what? You made five movies and you should have behaved. It's so refreshing. It is so refreshing. And you know what it is? They got a point. And I think they made the right move because Into the Spider-Verse was done by Sony. Great movie. Amazing. amazing. <clears throat> Probably better than both Spider-Mans that came out with Tom Holland. Honestly. Honestly. Yeah, it was really good. And then they're going to make a sequel, and I think they're making one with all the females. And there's probably gonna, there's going to be one with all the females, so Spider-Woman and probably Black Cat will be in there. And a lot of fun stuff with that because I think they own a bunch of that stuff too. I think they own like the entire Spider-Man concept. Which means that they probably own Spider or Spider Gwen or whatever she's called now, and they own Spider Woman, and probably they own Black Cat because I think they, they they must own a bunch of the property of that, and so that's great. And so if they're going in that direction, then this makes complete sense because I don't know what Spider Man's worth, but it's got to be worth at least a billion dollars. Yeah, it's got to be up there brilliant just 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 and and i love it and i love it and i love it because i think it, but but in reality here's what i think is going to happen i think that they're going to negotiate this out because there's too much money at stake i right. think what's going to happen is that they're going to put 50 percent down and i think disney's going to take like 20 percent instead of five percent and i think i think that's what's going to ultimately happen because and sony's going to get more money out of it and there's going to be benchmark guarantees and Probably that's the best case scenario for Disney, and ultimately, but also it's like all these fans are all upset, saying, "Oh, Sony, you're the bad guy." And I'm like, "What happened in America where a company stood up to a giant and actually said no?" And isn't that like an American thing to do? What Sony right. just did? Like, I'm sorry, like I hate to be political, but isn't that what we used to do in America? Like. Sony's America and Disney's China, like right. like that that that's that's the whole entire point here, and and so I love it. I love it. I think I think it's patriotic, and God bless Sony. So you don't think um, that Marvel will just use their new What If show to say fuck you to Sony and just do What If Spider Man was never in the cinematic universe? I know they can't. Do I don't that think they can't I don't them, think but. they can. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't think they can. Right. I mean, It'd be funny, though, if they were just like, well, we have this what-if show. What if Spider-Man's not going to be here anymore? Sorry. But, yeah. probably They might, they might, they might take shots at it. They, they, they might enjoy it. Right. They might find it fun. 
to do it, but they'll pay for it. Oh, I mean, I mean, I mean, they might just say, "Fuck it, fine, sue us in court," right. and they'll lose. But but Disney doesn't care. So what what do they'll, they'll pay Sony five hundred million just to stick up their middle finger at them? I mean, I think, and I'm okay with that too. I think it's great, but I don't think they're going to do that. And and the reason why they're not going to do that is that they're going to try to negotiate this out for the next two years. And so, because too much has been invested in this. But I just think it's so American what Sony did. And I hope Sony just says, fuck off. And says, <laughs> bring it on. We own Funimation. Sony right. owns Funimation. So, what I really want is I want a Japanese Spider-Man. Oh, there you I go. Think, I think that's what we should do. They should just, 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 just. Japanese Spider-Man anime-wise and have fun with it and go to town. And I think it'll, I think it'll be great. I mean, Stanley's daughter's all pissed off about it. Too. Yeah, and I saw something like, where she was not happy with Marvel, but who knows? You never know. But, 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 but you know what is? Stanley never owned Spider-Man. Right. It wasn't that way, much like Superman was never owned by Schuster and Siegel. And it's like, what is she bitching about? Because your dad legitly made hundreds of millions of dollars off of spider-man right i mean your your dad was taken care of okay you know you know you know who wasn't taken care of joe schuster and jerry siegel were not taken care of the proper way they didn't make hundreds of millions of dollars off of their character superman and you could argue that superman's bigger than spider-man yeah you can make that argument for sure spider-man's one of us, as as far as humanity, Superman is the best of us. Right. So, so I wanted so, to so. T- swing him back to anime before we, I got to start wrapping it up here shortly, but um, new He-Man Masters of the Universe done, um, I've read as, as an anime with Kevin Smith as the showrunner. How do you feel about that? Were you a, were you a Masters of the Universe fan growing up? I enjoyed Masters of the Universe, but it was a little bit before my time. So I caught it in the reruns when it was out, and then I caught like the remaster of it. And I, I enjoy Masters of the Universe. I think it's just interesting, and it's enjoyable. What do you think of them doing it as an, as in the style of anime? Oh, see, that's where things get tricky because if it's done right, then yeah, it makes complete sense. So if it's done like Witchblade or Witch Hunter, I think it's Witch Hunter, or Korra, or Avatar The Last Airbender, or Ruby, then it's great. It makes complete sense. But if they fuck it up, (laughs) it's horrific. And anime, American anime is very tricky. And it's a tricky topic because done right, it's really good. But if it's not done right, it's not a cartoon. And so you don't, you have it like, 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 it, it ha- I have to wait to see how the verdict goes because done right, great. You know, you said Kevin Smith is the showrunner on it? Yeah, Kevin Smith's the showrunner. You know, he, he's good at things. I like him. You know, I, I've enjoyed everything that he's done so far. You know, Red State is one of my favorite movies of all time. I still haven't seen that, but I heard it's really good. It's not. It's not what you would typically think of him. You know, he he was very instrumental in Goodwill Hunting, which is also really a, a fantastic movie. He was an executive producer on that. So everything the guy touches, for the most part, is great. 
and it's funny and it's interesting and he knows his way around on how to direct. I mean, he directed a bunch of comic stuff, live action, I think for Supergirl. Yeah, I think he's again, written some comics too. So he's done some comic runs as far as writing goes too. But again, it, it all goes back to really the art and the style because if you don't know how to animate as a Japanese animator or in that style, then it's going to be a piece of crap. That's going to be a piece of shit. Right. And it's going to look really bad. It's going to look like an American went and it took an already American thing that is well-respected, that people like and that people enjoyed and people grew up on and that's, you know, 35 years old and then you tried to Japanese it up and then you American Japanese it up and now you went from America with a good thing that worked took it into another style that disrespects that style and that doesn't work. So I, I, but if they do it right, it'll work beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for it. They're supposed to, they're, they're, the way they're talking about it, they're saying that they're going to keep it as close to the, the original and almost be like a continuation. So I'm excited to hear those stories. Um, before we start wrapping it up, do you want to tell people how they can check out your podcast or where they can find, um, anything that you've got going on? Yeah, so I'll be happy to plug myself. It's what I live for. I love social media. I'm a social media whore. So my Twitter handle is at pop anime comics. That is P O P A I N E A N I M E. C-O-M-I-C-S. My website is popanimecomics.com. Same spelling. My podcast is called the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. That is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitch Radio, and anywhere else where you listen to your podcasts. I am on 27 plus directories, as well as my Instagram is Pop Anime Comics. And I do have a Facebook page, so feel free to check that out. And the reason why you should follow me slash like my Facebook page is when I do go to cons, I do live stream as many panels as I possibly can. And sometimes I have four to seven panels at anime cons on variety of topics, everything from comic book investing 101 all the way up to the godfather of anime, Asama Tezuka, where we go back to like the 1950s and talk about anime and really his legacy and then exploring dystopia underrated military anime, sports and anime, and a variety of other topics. And I'm always adding new things into my plethora. And my Facebook page is free. So you get to witness a 50-minute panel at an anime con for free. It's up for two weeks, usually. Free. Pretty cool. You can't really beat that deal. It's free, and that's the reason why. As well, I put up a bunch of stuff. I put up five articles a day. Two comics, two anime, one wrestling. My podcast is pushed out. I got 100 episodes of the podcast as well as some other fun memes and things like that. So Pop Anime Comics, just Google it. You'll find me. My website has all my links on it. So you can also listen to the podcast on my website. So there you go. That's all my stuff. Well, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, It was fun talking to you about you know geek culture comic book stuff anime all that stuff um so i've been excited to to finally get to talk about this stuff so we're definitely gonna have to do this again 
Um, and I, I look forward to talking to you at some point soon. And it's Pop Anime Comics. If you haven't checked it out, Pop Anime Comics Lounge. Uh, and thanks again to Andrew for coming on. And we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Itty Bitty Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, We just uploaded all the episodes of the show onto YouTube, so you can catch us on YouTube, as well as check us out on Instagram, uh, at Itty Bitty Podcast, and then uh, Twitter, at Itty Bitty PCast, online, ittybittypodcast.com. You can check out all the shows right now, available anywhere you get podcasts for free, and we will see you next week. Thanks. Peace.